Good morning, and if you are uh, just tuning in to join with us in worship this morning, we welcome you to Bethany United Methodist Church, where we are leading people to experience God's love, to know Jesus Christ, and to grow in Christ's image. This week, we're starting a, a series about surviving and thriving in the midst of this pandemic. We're going to be doing this for four weeks, and uh, we're, we're kind of building it on the pattern of the Psalms of Lament. And so uh, as you come into this week, this is the first week, which means this is kind of the, the dark week of, of this series. And uh, I'm going to invite you to kind of join with us in this time. It may be a little uncomfortable in some ways. I would suggest uh, later in this sermon, I'm going to have some questions uh, to ask you. And you might want to have something to write on because those answers may be helpful to you later on when we're going to suggest that maybe uh, you write your own psalm of lament uh, for this period of time. I'm going to ask you to join me in prayer right now. Thank you. Father, we give you thanks for this morning. We thank you for the sun that is outside. And uh, we just ask you to come and open our hearts and minds to what you want to share with us today. May the words of my mouth, may the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. For you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I'm going to start with some very familiar words out of the 23rd Psalm. Uh, You've probably heard these before, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. You may have heard it, uh, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, which is one of the ways this gets translated. Uh, darkest valley really is, is probably a closer translation to the original language. And uh, I have to tell you, when I was young, uh, that, that imagery really didn't do much for me uh, because I grew up in South Texas on the coastal plains and they look like this. Not many valleys down there. I mean, we're talking flat. And so, uh, and if you actually, if you look off in that picture, you can see a little bump. That's the, the, a, a, a mot of oak trees out there. Uh, but, but this is what I grew up with. So it was a little hard for me to understand why a valley would be a, a disturbing place to be uh, when, when you grow up with this kind of landscape. And then uh, first time we went to Colorado and went up into the mountains and went hiking and uh, went up to altitude and we were hiking up there in the mountains and, and went down these valleys and they're, they're quite narrow as you can tell and the, the clouds kind of came down on us. And, and what I realized was up in those high valleys like that, it's, it's really easy to get turned around and lose your sense of direction. Uh, we were lucky we had compass with us to kind of guide us through that. But uh, it's very easy up there where you can't really see the sun, especially on a cloudy day, uh, to kind of lose your sense of direction and not know where you're going. And then in 1998, I went to the Holy Land for the first time. And uh, in the wilderness, uh, we came across this valley. It's between Jerusalem and Jericho. Uh, which probably could be, I mean, this is very likely possibility, this is the valley David was thinking of uh, when he penned those words. Uh, and it parallels the road uh, that goes down from Jerusalem to Jericho, which was kind of risky in and of itself. So sometimes people took alternate routes, but more than likely David would have gone into this valley with his sheep, uh, following them into this place. And as you look at this valley, you can see it's, it's, a, it's very steep, it's very narrow, uh, the bottom never gets any sun. There's never any sunlight that reaches the bottom of this valley. And uh, if you were in this valley uh, and you encountered someone who wanted to do you harm or to rob you or a wild animal, uh, there, there's really no place to go. I mean, you can't climb out of it. There's no easy exit. Uh, and so you're going to have to have that confrontation. And, and I begin to understand the sense of this when they say darkest valley, the sense of being in a place that may be disorienting, uh, may be frightening, uh, may feel like you're trapped uh, in that place. 
uh, and, and you know that that kind of fear and anxiety that would go with being in there and, and having that feeling of you know I need to get out of here as quick as I can. The word darkest that is uh, used in the psalm there is the same word that Isaiah uses in uh, the passage we read oftentimes at Advent or Christmas. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who lived in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shined. And in this song of Isaiah, it's a great song of celebration where that sense of of being in that dark place of of fear and disorientation and entrapment and bondage, as opposed to the light of being in God's presence. Uh, And so this we often read as a a great song of celebration, but it emphasizes that concept of, of the darkness and being in that place. One of the realities of of all the songs of lament, whether they're in the book of Psalms or whether they're in one of the book of the prophets or whether they're in the book of Lamentations, which falls in the midst uh, of the books of the prophets in the Old Testament, uh, is this willingness to be honest uh, and to talk about and to own what it means to be in the darkness. I want you to think uh, one of the great psalms of lament is Psalm 22, and I want you to think back to Good Friday just a few weeks ago, as Jesus hung on the cross and he uttered those words, my, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We sometimes forget that those are the opening words of Psalm 22. And I have no doubt in my mind that when Jesus was there, uh, weakened and in pain and in the process of dying, this psalm was on his mind. Those may have been the only words he had the energy and to utter but I'm sure this whole psalm was on his mind. And as I read through it, I think you'll understand why. It starts off with this cry. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but find no rest. And some of you may already be identifying with that, that crying out to God, God, where are you right now? Uh, during the day and and that sense of being up at night and being unsettled and anxiety and fear. And the psalmist here, David, clearly lays that out. Now, the interesting piece with this psalm is there's going to be a certain rhythm to it. So first we have this cry, and then it's going to be followed by a statement of faith. Yet you are holy enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you our ancestors trusted. They trusted, and you delivered them. To you they cried and were saved, and you they trusted and were not put to shame. And it's unclear to me whether in writing this uh, he intended this to be reminding us of who God is or whether this is actually a word spoken to God to say, remember who you are, God, uh, in the middle of this. But there's this affirmation, and then he immediately goes back into the lament and the cry. But I am a worm and not human, scorned by others and despised by the people, All who see me mock at me, they make mouths at me, they shake their heads. Commit your cause to the Lord, let him deliver, let him rescue the one in whom he delights. Uh, But I'm I'm not even human, Uh, you know, and if I commit my cause into your hands, uh, you know, they're making fun of me. People are asking me, where's God and why isn't he delivering you? And you may be hearing some of those same questions from people around you in this time. It's interesting, that last piece, you know, let him deliver you, it is very similar to the words that the scribes and the Pharisees will speak to Jesus on the cross, right? Now, as this goes on, you're going to hear the similarities and the reasons 
why Jesus would have been thinking of this psalm uh, in that moment when he was hanging there. Uh, He's going to have a further word of affirmation. Yet it was you who took me from the womb. You kept me safe on my mother's breast. On you I was cast from my birth. And since my mother bore me, you've been my God. Do not be far from me, for trouble is near and there's no one to help. Do you hear the honesty of that statement? Trouble is near and there's no one else that's going to help me, God. Don't be far from me. Just crying out to God in the midst of this. And then he describes the situation. Many bulls encircle me, strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. I'm poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax, it's melted within my breast. My mouth is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. For dogs are all around me, a company of evildoers encircles me. My hands and feet have shriveled. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among themselves, and for my clothing they cast lots. And you can understand why this is the psalm that was in Jesus' mind as he was on the cross that day. And he lifts this cry up to God. I mean... Now, it's interesting, I want you to notice that the strength of the cry, and yet it's balanced some by that affirmation, so hold on to that. That cry is going to be something that we see in all the lamentations, all the Psalms. You know, why, O Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? You're going to hear that cry repeated over and over when you read the Psalms of Lament, or if you go to the book of Lamentations. This cry to God in the the midst of the time, "Where, where are you, God? Where are you? There's an honesty to that that's that's lifted up and cried out. And, and the first part of any lament is an honesty about what we're feeling being shared and sharing that with God. That's the first piece of it all. Um, I know a lot of times we, we struggle with that and, and wrestle with that and we don't feel like we can you know, say that to God, but I want to assure you that God is big enough to handle it, whatever fear you might be feeling, whatever resentment you might have, whatever anxiety you might have. God is big enough to handle that. And if even Christ could lift this up, if if David could lift up words like this, we can trust that God can hear them from us as well. Um, Unfortunately, what we tend to do is is we tend to try to kind of avoid dealing with all of this. Uh, Peter Scazzaro, in his book on emotionally healthy spirituality, talks about some of the ways we try to avoid some of the, the negative or the dark emotions that we have within ourselves. Uh, he talks about denial and minimizing, and, and minimizing is kind of the little brother of denial. Uh, and, and you probably have heard some of that as we've gone through this. I know at first a lot of people were in denial that, that this whole uh, virus thing was real and that, uh, oh, well, you know, it's not going to come over here, it's over there, it's not going to come here. And then when it arrived, uh, they begin to try to minimize it. Oh, it'll blow over in a couple of weeks, it's not that big a deal. Uh, and, and then as people began to die, that became more difficult to do. We can uh, choose to blame others or to blame ourselves. Uh, you know, one of the things we heard early on was, well, you know, this is all China's fault and uh, let's blame it on them. And uh, some of us have blamed other people around us or blamed this group or that group, or we may even blame ourselves. Uh, we just haven't taken care of ourselves the way we should have. Uh, but we want to point the finger. This has got to be someone's fault and we're going to want to place blame somewhere. We may choose to over-spiritualize 
this, to kind of say, oh, this is a, this is a test of our faith, and God has done this to grow us stronger in our faith, and to try to find ways to, to put a good spin on what is a very difficult situation. We can rationalize as we go through it and talk about, uh, well, you know, as long as we do the things we're supposed to do, we're not going to get it, and somebody else might get it, but we're not going to be exposed to it, or, or only people who do these things might get you know, infected with this. And we can intellectualize. We can choose, instead of engaging our emotions on this, to hold it all at an arm's length and look at it intellectually. Uh, you know, how, how does it cause? Where did it come from? What, what is the treatment of it? One of the interesting things I've heard about this in the past week is that pretty much every century or so, there is some kind of mass epidemic uh, among the people of, of the earth. And uh, this is right on time. If you remember, the last major uh, flu epidemic was 1918, the one that uh, caused so many deaths in the United States. And now here we are almost 100 years, uh, just a little over that uh, later with this pandemic in place. And so, you know, you can choose to put all of this in a mental framework and to deal with it intellectually and not acknowledge the emotional side of it. <clears throat> Distracting. You can try to find ways to distract your attention from this. And frankly, you have to do some of that right now as we're all stuck in our houses. Uh, I don't know what you're doing in your house, but you know, a lot of people are kind of binge-watching things on television, and we've binge-watched a couple of shows to kind of have some distraction because, you know, frankly, you can just only engage this for so many hours of the day, uh, and so you need things to, to move your mind to other places. But if you choose to do nothing but be distracted from this and ignore your own emotions around this, then you never resolve those emotions that you're carrying. Uh, you can become hostile. And, um, you know, I don't, I don't know what your house is doing right now. Our house is, so far, we've, we've been done pretty good. But I've heard some stories from other people where the households have become a little hostile. And an interesting article was out earlier this week uh, in the Austin American Statesman where they were talking about the fact that since we have isolated and distanced, that property crimes have dropped substantially, but domestic disturbances have tripled. Uh, you know, around each other a little too much, we're closed in a little too much, and pretty soon it begins to be the other person that's at fault, and we begin to be hostile and take out our negative emotions on each other. And finally, we can medicate, and we can choose to use the pills, or we can choose to drink the alcohol, or we can choose to engage in the internet, or whatever your favorite addiction is, as a way to anesthetize yourself to what you're feeling. Now what I, I want you to hear is, is all of these can happen and I'm, I'm wondering if some of them might resonate with you and perhaps some of these may be your way of trying to avoid dealing with all of this. The hard part to hear about that is you can try to avoid dealing with these emotions but they're there and when we don't deal with them they will express themselves in one way or another frequently in a way that's inappropriate or in a way that's hurtful to someone else. And by, by ignoring them, we, we don't really give ourselves a chance to move through them. Uh, and sometimes we don't seem to understand that if we don't lift up these negative emotions uh, and, and bring them out and give them to God, there, there's no opportunity there for God to redeem them. Um, you, know, you, can't, you can't really have the joy of salvation unless you understand that you're lost. Uh, you can't experience the joy of freedom unless you know you've been in bondage. Uh, you can't experience the true joy of resurrection unless you know you've been laying in the grave. Uh, 
And as we move through this, to lift them up to God and to share them with God is to offer them to God and trust that God will redeem them. And God will lift them up. One of the great stories in the Old Testament about dealing with the loss is the story of Job. And um, some scholars have called Job the story of us all because Job uh, kind of encompasses in his life uh, all of the loss that we all experience. Now, if you read through the book, what you'll find first is that the way the story starts is Job is a man of great faith. Uh, he has a great marriage. He has lots of children. He's very wealthy. Everything's great in his life. And, uh, and Satan goes to, uh, to God and says, uh, you know what? Um, I'll bet you if I take all that stuff away from Job, he'll deny you. And God says, oh no, Job's my man. He won't do that. And so they, they kind of have a bet going on. And so Satan begins to take these things away from Job. Now, uh, you know, you may have some theological qualms with that. Uh, at least I, I hope maybe you do have some theological qualms with that. Uh, but nonetheless, that sets up the story. And, and the whole book is kind of a parable about what does it mean to deal with loss. And Job loses everything. I mean, in the span of a day, Job loses everything. He loses his wife. He loses his children. He loses his household. He loses all the animals in his household. He loses all of his wealth. And finally, he loses his health. And he ends up sitting on the, the dung heap, the garbage heap of the community. And, he, and he's scraping the sores, the ulcerating sores on his body. Um, it, it's, it's a rough picture. And, and the reality is that all of us suffer loss. You know, over the course of our lifetime, we're, we're all going to lose people we love. Over the course of our lifetime, we're all going to have losses that affect our household and our wealth. Over the course of our lifetime, uh, eventually, even our health is going to be taken away. Because as the old song says, you know, when you go to heaven, uh, you don't take nothing with you but your soul. Uh, so, so what really happens in Job is, is all of our collective losses that we experience across all the years of our lives get concentrated and distilled down into one day in Job's life. And in that moment, when Job is out there, uh, Job speaks freely his feelings to God and to his friends. After this, Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. Job said, let the day perish in which I was born, and the night that said, a man-child is conceived. Let that day be darkness. May God above not seek it or light shine on it. It's a very articulate way of saying, it would have been better if I'd never been born. It would have been better if I'd not been born. A little later in the book, <clears throat> he says, my sighing comes like my bread, my groanings are poured out like water. Truly the thing that I fear comes upon me, and what I dread befalls me. I'm not at ease, nor am I quiet. I have no rest, but trouble comes. I mean, he's lost everything, and now he's sitting there thinking, what else can happen? What else can possibly occur? And, and there's no rest, no relaxation, no quietness in any of this because of the fear and the anxiety that is uh, rumbling in his soul through this time. Uh, and he's just wrestling with this. And you notice how honest, you notice how honest the words of Scripture are with God. How God's people speak freely to him and share with God how they feel, even as, as harsh as those words may sound to us. I sometimes wonder when we go into these uh, acts of denial or avoidance if, 
if, if really we're kind of doing that as a way to try to avoid telling God how we really feel, if, if maybe we think maybe we're going to offend God. Uh, and I want you to hear again, you're not going to say anything that God has not heard before from his people over millennia, sometimes spoken much more harshly than our words are to him. The first phase of a, of a psalm of lament is to be honest and to lift up what we're feeling, to be authentic with God, to be real with God. Because until you open that up, God can't be at work in it, and God's redemption work can't begin. Now, I have some questions I want to ask you as you think about where you're at in life. And if you were going to lift up a cry of a lament, what would you answer to some of these? Uh, what's your greatest pain at this time? Where are you hurting the most right now? Is it, is it because you have someone in your family who has died of this COVID-19? We've had a few families that have lost someone that way. But there's a secondary pain that's gone with that because not only them, but, but other families in the church who have lost loved ones, uh, they're, they're not able to gather with their family and with their friends and celebrate that person's life. And some of our folks who have had people that have died from COVID, not only uh, are they feeling the loss of that loved one and, and the loss of the ability to celebrate their life, but they're quarantined, which means now they're isolated from everybody and unable to be with them. And, and so they're alone in that time of grief. What's your greatest pain? Maybe your greatest pain isn't along that. Maybe your greatest pain has to do with uh, the loss of a job or the loss of a business, uh, the loss of connection with people. Where, where, where are you hurting the most right now? And, and connected to that is, you know, what is your greatest loss? Is it a loved one? Is it a job? Is it a business? Is it, is it your financial security that's now being threatened? Uh, some of our students have talked about how they don't think they're going to be able to have graduation or they're not going to get to have their senior proms. Uh, people have talked about losing, uh, being around other folks and, and being uh, in, you know, in contact with other people. It's interesting to me that we've have uh, some of our families where the, the parents have talked to me and they're more kind of in the introvert mold. And so the, you know, being alone is not the problem. The problem is they're in their house, but now they never can be alone because in their house, there's all these other people that are always there. And so they need that space to have to themselves to kind of you know, gather and process and be alone. And they're not getting that. And they feel keenly the loss of those moments of privacy. And on the flip side, we have other people who are much more extroverted who have talked about the fact that they can't go out and be with their friends and, and the people they love to be around. And so they're feeling the loss of that social side of their lives. What's your, your greatest loss? Financial or social or relational connection or someone you love? What's your, your greatest loss at this time? If I, what is your greatest fear? What is it that keeps you awake at night? What is it that makes you worry? Are you worried about what the future is going to do and what the finances are? Or maybe you're thinking, boy, we're getting ready to start having people go back to work here in a week or two. And is that going to suddenly make a lot more people sick? Or is it going to make me be exposed to this when maybe I would not have been before? What is your greatest fear? When I was young and growing up in Victoria... I had several uh, episodes that I suffered 
uh, asthma and pneumonia related to allergies there. And I can remember being in, in the hospital in one of those old oxygen tents they used to use, and you would be underneath that. I can remember what it smells like, and I can remember the machines that they would use to open your lungs up with and blow the medication into your lungs with. Uh, and so, you know, I have very clear memories of all that. And when I read the descriptions of the pneumonia that can come as a result of COVID-19, uh, frankly, it's, it's terrifying. Uh, and not only is it frightening to me, but it, it's frightening for me to think about what would happen if my wife was infected with that, or what if my children or my children-in-law were infected with it. And in this time, there's lots of things that all of us are fearing and feeling. And what are those for you? One of the things I worry about the most with this particular item and to talk about fear is, is the reason we don't want to take this to God because we're afraid that God really won't be there for us? I mean, is our fear that if we share this openly with God, that God will walk away from us? That God really doesn't love and care about us that much, and therefore we're going to put these words down, and we're going to speak these words and acknowledge their reality, and no one's going to be there for us. I encourage you to just engage with that. Engage with that and lift that up to God. Invite God into all of that as we move through this week. And I want you to remember one thing in particular. All of the Psalms of Lament, all of them, end up with a word of praise. Because the experience of God's people across the millennia has been when we lift up our cries to God, when we share our, our fear with God, when we share our resentment with God, when we share our pain with God, when we share our sense of God's absence and lift that up and cry. God hears and God answers His people. That Psalm 22 that, that Jesus utters the words from on the cross later on is going to say, I will tell of your name to my brothers and sisters in the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. I mean, it ends with a word of praise. But before we get to that, we have to walk through the valley of the darkest shadow. So I want to encourage you this week to verbalize the things that are hurting, the losses you're experiencing, the fear that's keeping you up at night. Verbalize that. Put it down on paper. Say it out loud. Pray that to God. Lift it up. Say, God, where are you right now? And begin to lift that up so that God might redeem it in your life. And know, with all of God's people across the millennia, our experience is that there will come a day when our prayers of lament will become songs of praise. Let's pray. Mighty God, we confess to you Often we, we don't feel enough confidence in your presence with us and your care for us to be willing to walk into these dark places in our hearts and our souls. And so we ask you to come and surround us closely with your love and with your grace that we might find the courage to be honest about our fears and our resentments and our pains and our losses, to lift all of those up to you and to trust that in doing so, you, you will not reject us or turn away from us, 
but that your love and care will continue to surround us and lift us up and that you will take all of that that we suffer through and in love you will redeem that. That when we hold your hand, you will take us from this place of, of crying out to a place of praise. We ask your presence to be with us in Jesus' name. Amen.